Hello, everyone. So, some of you will know we've been going through um, a series here at Oasis Church Waterloo uh, called the Apostles' Creed. Now, this is part of a wider series, and actually, um, there's been a few weeks of different things before this week on this series. So, you can go online on the church website and listen. I do encourage you to go back and listen to what's come before in this. Um, series. Particularly on the first week, Steve gave an introduction to what the Apostles' Creed was, how it came about, why we're looking at it. So please do have a look at that. Now, I haven't preached here for a very long time, uh, and I was really happy to get the resurrection, because it's kind of like the big one, isn't it? So, uh, you know, hopefully that goes all right. Um, And so we're focusing on this particular line, okay, in the Apostles' Creed, On the third day, he, that's Jesus, Jesus Christ, rose again from the dead. Big belief. Jesus rose from the dead. So we're going to look at that today. We're going to look at the resurrection. And uh, I was thinking as I was, uh, knew I had this sermon coming up, I thought um, through the years, I've actually listened to a lot of sermons and different talks on the resurrection. There'll be some of you here who maybe also have listened to years worth of resurrection sermons, particularly around Easter. Some of you uh, maybe haven't heard one before or just a few, but I've certainly heard a lot of them over the years. And so I started to have a think. From most of the resurrection stories I've heard in different churches and different settings, what were the, me- what were the main things that they often focus on? And I think really in my life anyway, there's been two main areas that they focused on. The first one is um, trying to convince you about the resurrection actually happening. Let's admit it, it's an extraordinary claim to make, isn't it, that Jesus actually rose from the dead. And so I've heard a lot of sermons over the years that talk about, did Jesus really rise from the dead? Here are the arguments for it. And then there's another category, the second category, which goes something like, Jesus died for our sins on the cross. The resurrection is proof that we go to heaven when we die. And those, I think, are the two main categories that I've heard, certainly, over the years. This sermon isn't either of those, okay? But because they've been quite common, it's, it's worth us talking about them. So, most people, to be honest, really understandably, certainly a lot of my friends would think the resurrection, no way did it happen. The resurrection of Jesus is extraordinary. And so some people have never looked into the arguments or the evidence or the historical arguments for it. Some people have never looked into it almost for the opposite reason. Maybe they've been a Christian a really long time and they thought, it's just one of those things that you believe, so there you go. So for those of you who do want to look into that, I would encourage you to have a look at it. A good place to start A guy called Tom Wright, who's a historian, a theologian. Some of you would have heard of him. If you type into pretty much into YouTube, Resurrection N.T. Wright, um, you're going to have a good starting thing to go on. And if you're really interested, there's a big book that he wrote as well called The Resurrection of the Son of God, which goes into a lot of detail around it. I've heard um, someone put it like this, that if tomorrow you got a letter through the post And it said that you inherited a million pounds from like someone you didn't know in your family who passed away and left you this money. You'd probably be extremely skeptical, but you'd probably look into it because it would be so life-changing if it was true. So that's all we're going to say 
on that. Second point, the meaning of the resurrection was never really about going to heaven when you die. And to be honest, we're going to unpack some of that this morning. So, where to start? Well, some history and some context will really help us with this. Now, interestingly, as I looked into this, um, historians have found that there were other messianic figures on about the hundred years either side of Jesus' life. Messianic figures, what that means is people that, for the Jewish people, they said, this is our Messiah. Messiah means appointed one. They had expectations that the Messiah would be the person to kick out the Romans, because they were conquered by the Romans under Roman oppression, and restore um, Israel to the way it was supposed to be, to bring God's kingdom. Now, if you look in history, these other messianic figures, they grew up a movement, and nearly all of them were killed because they were going against the Romans and fighting against them. So nearly all of them were killed. But what would often happen is either the movement would end, and if you're a follower of this particular Messiah, you'd be like, guess they weren't the Messiah. And uh, then you return to your family business, return to working the fields. Or um, what would happen was they say, okay, let's have a new Messiah. Okay, you're the brother, so you can take over and be the new Messiah and keep leading the movement. What's interesting is none of these other messianic movements ever, ever claimed that their Messiah, their leader, had risen from the dead. So what did resurrection even mean to those first followers? Well, at the time of Jesus, the Jewish people had an expectation around resurrection. In their big story, in the Old Testament, as we call it now, in their scriptures, they'd grown up a hope that God, because God was good and he loved his creation and he loved his humanity and he hated injustice, one day God would put the whole world right again. They often called this the final judgment, which for us is a scary term. We're like, final judgment, ooh. But in the big context, what it meant was that God was finally going to put things right. It was good news. And they said this God was going to restore the whole world, and even he was going to defeat evil and sin and death. Death itself would be defeated. And so there was a Jewish hope that on these last days at the end of history, all people who belong to God would be resurrected. That was the big picture. And so when we come to Jesus, a lot of people, most of the Jews, believe there would be a final resurrection. There were a few groups among the Jewish people who didn't believe that. Um, The Sadducees, you can actually read in the Gospels, they came up to have an argument with Jesus to say there is no resurrection of the dead, uh, and Jesus has has an argument with them. Um, So there were some who didn't, but generally that's what people thought in the first century by the resurrection. It didn't mean going to, to a disembodied heaven when you die. It meant something else. But here was the thing, no one, even if they believed that, no one thought that one person would be resurrected from the dead in the middle of history. They thought this was going to happen to all people at the end of history. So, that meant that when Jesus rose from the dead and his followers saw him, they knew it meant at least two really big things. For one, Jesus really was the Messiah. More than that, 
the Lord of the earth, and two, that God's new creation that was supposed to happen at the end of history had gate crashed. It had been launched right in the middle of this current creation. It really was the coming of the kingdom of God. So, are you staying with me so far? I know there's a lot we're jamming in here, but hopefully it will make, make sense and be clear. So, this totally changed how those first Christians looked at the cross. The cross became the victory. Here is Paul, one of the first Christians, writing in the New Testament in Colossians. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And then this bit we're particularly focusing on. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Disarming the powers and authorities, it's an odd phrase. What does that even mean? Well, the powers and authorities are all the things that seem to rule the world how it is now. I don't know if you're like me. I assume you probably are in that the news is sometimes, you can just find it, depressing and overwhelming. Anyone else ever feel like that? Yeah? Because now we live in an age where literally we get told about all kinds of things that are happening all over the world and we realize the world is quite a mess. Why? Because we're reminded, despite all the good things in life, there's so much greed and corruption, violence, wars still happening, there's lies, betrayal, abuse, selfishness, prejudice, exclusion, cruelty. It almost seems like Caesar just keeps crucifying. It just keeps happening again and again. So for these first Christians, the meaning of the cross, though it was a tragedy, totally changed. They saw it as the victory. All these dark powers, even though they seem like they're ruling the world, they're not. Christ is. So then you get resurrection. What did the resurrection mean? Well, it's the launching of God's new creation where hope and love reigns. Look at this other verse. This is from Peter, who you know, one of the first uh, disciples. And in his book in the New Testament, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And into an inheritance that will never perish, spoil, or fade. Okay, another weird expression in there. What does birthed into a living hope through the resurrection mean? Well, it means to live in the reality of God's kingdom here and now. And this is a very different kind of world. It's a world where everyone has enough food and access to clean water, education, healthcare, everyone's equal. Everyone has equal opportunity no matter where they came from or their background. In God's kingdom, in the resurrection, greed and money doesn't win, generosity does. Self-loathing is replaced with self-worth. Abuse by compassion. Selfishness by empathy and other-centeredness. In this new living hope of the resurrection, People are reconciled to God and to each other and to the earth. 
and people live and they love like Christ. Last week, Steve and Jerry spoke about a bit about the harrowing of hell. This is a fresco, okay, a piece of art. This particular one is still in Istanbul today. It's quite interesting because in, um, oh, I had the exact date, but it's not on my notes anymore to impress you. About a thousand years ago, the Western church and the Eastern church split up. Ten, in 1054, from my memory, yeah, yeah, no, I remember it because of the other stuff that I remember from that year. The Eastern Church and the Western Church broke up like one direction. But a thousand years before. And it's quite interesting because particularly in terms of the resurrection, the Eastern Church has actually held on to that kind of original meaning a lot better than um, the Western Church, to be honest. The Western Church are pretty good over the last 1,000 years of painting resurrection paintings where Jesus is like, I've done it, which is good. But there was more of a meaning to it than that, as this piece of art demonstrates. Um, This is called the harrowing of hell or the resurrection of Christ. Quite typical to some of that early art with the early meaning in it. Uh, That's the resurrected Jesus there with a tomb behind him. And he has defeated hell. You can see, maybe you can just about make up right at the bottom, there's a person tied up in the pit of hell, poor guy. Well, it's not poor guy, because that's actually Hades or death. Death itself has been incapacitated and tied up. Evil is being defeated. And you'll see that Jesus isn't just alone. He's holding on to that man and woman's hands, Adam and Eve, representing the whole of humanity. Death has been defeated, evil defeated, hell emptied, humanity lifted up with Christ. I want to show you this quote. I talked about N.T. Wright earlier. This is a quote from him. The resurrection completes the inauguration of God's kingdom. It is the decisive event demonstrating that God's kingdom really has been launched on earth as it is in heaven. The message of Easter is that God's new world has been unveiled unveiled in Jesus Christ and that you are now being invited to belong to it. So often, the death and the resurrection of Jesus can become an abstract thing, like some belief that you just have to tick off a correct belief chart. Or, or sometimes it just becomes all about insurance for the next life, rather than something that brings hope and transformation to this life and this world now. I printed off my notes, and you know when it like prints them upside down? Annoying. That was a really powerful moment ruined there. (laughs) Yeah. So for the... Oh, hey, Turners. Are these the twins? Hey, cheer the new babies quietly. I like the eldest just sitting on top, just like a boss. (laughs) So for the first Christians, the question was, 
how are you going to participate in this new creation that's being launched through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus? Paul, one of the first Christians, even said it like this. He said, For we have been united with Christ in a death like his. Will we certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his? The other day, I was walking home, probably about 8, 8.30 p.m., and as I get a street away from where I live, um, I see this big crowd round a tower block where I live. And, um, yeah, there was an ambulance and there was police cars. And so I stopped to see what was going on. And I asked the people, do you know what's happened? And they said, they had told me that... Switch, okay. That tragically, someone had jumped off the 10th floor out of their window and died. Tragic. Unbelievable. And then one of the people that told me this, this woman said, and you see that person over there pointed to someone at the front talking to police. That's uh, one of his best friends. And I asked him what happened and I asked him, why did this happen? And he said, I, I don't want to talk about it. And I felt really insulted because I live around here and I should know what's going on. And why didn't he tell me? He could spend a minute to tell me what was going on. And to be honest, I didn't really want to listen to her, so I stopped listening. But then she started talking to everyone else around her about how she'd been hard done by and how people weren't telling her what was going on and how people should really stop and, and spend more time talking to her. I don't want to judge that woman too much because it made me realize as we we're walking away that's a bit of what we all do sometimes, if we're honest. We can have this death or this loss or these, these, um, these struggles, and it's easy to make it all about us, all about our pride, all about us looking good, all about us having what we want. It's easy, it's so easy to be a person who adds a little bit more pain to where there's already been death. A little bit more bitterness, a little bit more resentment, a little bit more division, a little bit more damage, rather than someone who brings hope and comfort and love. It's easy in all kinds of ways. That person in your family that everyone finds awkward and doesn't like, or in your workplace, it's easy to join in the gossiping, it's easy to put them down. It's easy to make snide comments. It's easy to claim that all the things, all the gifts we've been given, our money and our resources or a privileged position, just use it for ourselves. It's easy to just turn our back and shut ourselves off. We drop bombs because we always have. We take resources because we can. We dehumanize and demonize others. There's this um, writer called Richard Raw. I love how he puts this. He says, if you don't transform your pain, you'll always transmit it. If you don't transform your pain, you'll always transmit it. Uh, a couple of years ago, my mum had a, um, she was off for a weekend away, uh, staying somewhere, and uh, she befriended a beautician over that time because she was having pedicures and that kind of thing. And uh, over the weekend, she got talking 
to this beautician like a lot. And um, they were sharing quite personal things. And my mum had shared how about half a year before that, she had lost my dad to, to cancer. And this beautician was talking to her and said, well, you know, we're friends. I'm actually um, running the race for life. don't know if you've heard of the race for life. It's a great thing where you raise money for research and support for people who are struggling with, um, with cancer. And the beautician said, in a few weeks' time, I think it was only like two weeks' time, I'm going to be running in this race to life, but um, I really care about the cause, but I don't know anyone personally who's died from cancer, so I haven't got anyone to run. They put a name on the front when they run at these races of who they're running for. And the beautician said, I haven't got anyone to run for. And, uh, and then she turned to my mum and said, well, I mean, if you would like, I could run for your husband. So, this woman, who wasn't part of our family, didn't know us, ran in these two Race for Lives, raising money for the cause and wearing the name of my dad, my mum's uh, husband. Yeah, why is that story so powerful? Why does it move us? Part of it, I think, is because it's about a painful thing. Maybe we all have slight painful things like that in different ways. Part of it is because the pain was real, but the other half is that the pain, the disease, in this case the cancer, it didn't have the last word. There was something else. It was like even out of the real pain, the real death, the music of resurrection started to play. A couple of months ago, I'm uh, sitting in a hospital ward with a young person, like a lot of young people, unfortunately, who have come through the hospital because they've been um, stabbed. This young person had been stabbed a couple of times and could have died both times. And his life was at risk if he was returning back to his community. And he was telling me he had, because his injury was so bad, he had his whole, his whole arm was wrapped up. And um, he said, if, this, if I didn't have this injury and my whole arm in cast, he said, I would leave tonight and I'd find the people and I would stab them, and I would try to kill them. Very honest. Brutally honest. And this young person, he was only in his early 20s, he had all kinds of things in his life against him that had led up to this point. And we sat down, and we talked about what he really wanted to do. Does he want to put his life at more risk and other people's? He has a choice to try and leave it behind, which is going to be hard. He's going to need support. But to leave it behind or put more violence into a cycle that keeps going. And then around the same time, in the other bit uh, of the hospital where we do youth work, uh, me and Nathan are um, having our first diabetes clinics. 16 through to 25s um, come through. And we're getting to know some of the young people and I'm talking to this girl 
in her early 20s who tells me that she got diagnosed, I think it was around kind of in her early teens with diabetes. And actually, with diabetes type 1, you can't have a day off. You've got to treat yourself your whole life. You've got to have self-care. If you don't, it can have really long-term implications to your, to your health. And she'd actually seen a parent who hadn't taken care of himself and it had led to all kinds of health problems and, and near death. And she was saying she really struggled growing up. She kind of hated that she had this condition and she hated that she had to be different and she had some areas of self-loathing. She's really honest just talking about it. And um, we could say to her at the end, well, you know, we're starting this support group here at Oasis where young people, teenagers, can come along and build up a peer support network of other young people who go through the same thing. And perhaps you're a little bit older, you're in your early 20s, so maybe at some time you could come along and then you could start to support those younger young people and, and give them help that you didn't have back in the day. And her face lit up and she's like, oh yeah, that would be really good. Yeah. If you don't want to transmit the pain, you have to transform it. So, I want to leave you for a few minutes just to reflect of what this means in your own life. What does it mean about the invite to be a person who lives in the new creation, even in the midst of this world? And I want to just leave you with this verse as you reflect. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no needy persons among them. Reflect for a few minutes of what this might mean for your life.